Good evening. Welcome to the National Capital Bible Church, our Bible class tonight in the book of Job. We'll continue in chapter 38. We always take just a few seconds prior to beginning our study, the message. It's your opportunity to... Um, for confession of sins, uh, our spiritual preparation, and also to uh, ensure that you are uh, focused because tonight we're going to be listening to the Lord. The Lord, as we did last week, listening to the Lord, directing His comments, questions, to Job. And Job, as we periodically say, is in a little bit of a pickle as he uh, listens to the Lord uh, and realizes that he has uh, no answers uh, to the Lord's questions. So let's take... Um, Let's prepare ourselves for uh, our study this evening. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads, and I'll open us in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the opportunities that we have to not only worship you, but to remind ourselves of all of the things that you've done for us. Um, we find ourselves uh, very often uh, concerned, uh, disappointed maybe even distressed. Well, uh, none of us will find ourselves in any worse condition than Job. And Job um, <clears throat> wanted, to, wanted the Lord to speak to him. And here in chapter 38, he does. And of course, <clears throat> the Lord is reminding Job who he is as God and uh, what we really understand is that we are to trust God. He already knows what's happening in our lives and he has the solution. And our prayers are simply for us to be stronger or to pray for uh, a friend, <clears throat> a neighbor, a family member, to encourage them because, Father, we know that you love us and it is through your love and your provision that life goes on and we should in our own, uh, our own lives be, uh, be happy, joyful, uh, trusting in you because we know that you have a plan. Tonight, as we return to chapter 38, we ask for your blessing upon us and that God the Holy Spirit will guide us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> All right. Last week, we began chapter 38. We're going to see God's two uh, speeches, uh, 38, 39, 40, 41, and then 42 is more or less a uh, a narrative, uh, the conclusion of <clears throat> the book of Job. Uh, but God is now addressing, addressing Job, and we're going to see that in God's first, uh, his first speech, and that is in chapter 38 and 39. We've seen the outline for the book of Job 
the, the prologue as we started, the dialogues of Job and his three friends, and then we saw the dialogue of Elihu, his four speeches. And then, and we are now, uh, beginning God's two speeches and Job's rather brief responses. Uh, his first response is a little bit uh, longer, but uh, we'll see what his responses are. Uh, God's first speech begins in Job 38 and will continue in uh, up to chapter 40. God's opening rebuke and challenge to Job, we saw in verses 1 through 3. We'll start there tonight, just reading through it. And then we see God's questioning of Job regarding inanimate nature. And that takes us from 38.4 to the end of the chapter. Last, Last week we saw first three verses. And then we broke into the questions about the earth, verses 4 through 21. Uh, I think we can arrive at verse 21 this evening, but we really have uh, a little bit of an effort prior to beginning at verse 7, or excuse me, verse 8. Let's read, beginning in verse 1, chapter 38, Then the Lord answered Job, out of the whirlwind and said, and the whirlwind here is a reminder to Job who, who God is. This is not just a whisper, although the Lord can communicate with a whisper, but Job needs, mean, uh, needs to humble himself and listen. And so this powerful whirlwind storm appears and this is the authority of God God's going to teach the teach Job and one of the ways he's going to do this is by describing the creation verse 2 who who is this who darkens counsel in other words who is this protesting, we might say, or who presents himself in a challenge to God by words without knowledge. Who is this? Job, we might add. Now prepare yourself like a man. Be a man is how the Lord approaches him. I will question you and you will answer me. And this is God. So, Job, I'm going to question you, and you're going to have the opportunity to answer me. Uh, And we'll see that Job has very, very few answers. Verse 4, where were you, Job, when I, God, laid the foundations of the earth? Job's answer to this rhetorical question is, I was nowhere to be found. Tell me if you have an understanding or do you have any knowledge of uh, when I was laying the foundation of the earth? Who, Job, determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or if you know, speak, we could say. Or who, Job, stretched the line upon it, upon the earth? Verse 6. To or maybe on what were its foundations fastened? In other words, the foundations. Uh, how, where were the, uh, the pillars sunken uh, so that we have a foundation of this planet that is going to last forever? Or who laid its cornerstone? Job, who? Who is the one that laid the cornerstone of the earth? Then verse 7. When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, last week we took 
uh, some time to uh, get a better understanding of verse 7. First of all, we understand that in Hebrew poetry, we have parallelism. And here, the parallelism helps us to understand the the definition of these morning stars. Are these just distant planets? Uh, and I think the answer is no, because the sons of God here are the angels. And so when the morning stars, when the angels, those who were created, we could describe them as exceptional creatures, and they are like stars. When the morning stars sang together, so the angels are singing, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Last week, I gave uh, several, matter of fact, I think there were eight, eight points on the the significance of chapter se- of verse 7 and i received some questions and i made some modifications and added a few more points and what i'd like to do is to try to answer those questions and uh, last week um, I, I really wanted to go a little further than uh, eight points but we came to the end of our time but let me show you the PowerPoint that I have, and you'll notice that there are some adjustments. As I thought about my title for this, uh, these points, I believe I had God, creation, and angels. Uh, but in reality, while angels are created beings, and we could say that creation began with them, But very often, as we speak of creation, it is the creation subsequent to the creation of angels. And so I juxtapose those two words, God, angels, creation. And then I added uh, a little bit, and the order of angels. Incident, in other words, the order of when it occurs. God's eternality is where we started, no beginning or end, and we can see that in Genesis 1-1. We could also go to uh, John 1-1. We could go to Psalm 92, which is where we went last week, or we can go to Revelation 1-8, and I think we may have gone to Revelation. Uh, Revelation 1.8 last time. But uh, God's eternality, no beginning nor end, should not be um, uh, that profound for you. It should be something that we know, we understand. God is the, the sovereign of the universe. And he didn't uh, begin uh, with a, a big boom, or uh, nor did he grow into his godship. He always was. He always will be. He's not increasing. He's not decreasing. So God's eternality. Secondly, we had God creating the angels. Now, we have no definitive or no specific passage that tells us that God created the angels but we and we we saw last week that we really begin as humans subsequent to the creation of angels we see in job 38:7 which is our passage which i just read tells us that angels existed prior to creation of the earth that's what we're told in Job 38.7. This means if they, were, they existed prior to creation of the earth, that means they existed prior to Genesis 1.1. Because we're told in Genesis 1.1 that 
God created the heavens and the earth. And our next point is going to describe that. So point three, God creates space. And I had a little bit of a a different uh, sentence here, but I've in trying to capture what I taught last week, God creates space and earth. And that is Genesis 1-1. And one of the reasons that I am reviewing this is that this is, this is very important for us uh, as we read the Word of God, as we engage in discussions with uh, others, and um, very often theologians who maybe haven't taken the time, and I'm not being critical of them, I'm simply saying they haven't taken the time to really um, compare Scripture and really coming to what I believe is the truth that these verses teach us. All right, so Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the heavens here could... For some people, they would say, ah, the heavens, that means all of the stars and the suns, the various uh, galaxies uh, throughout the, uh, the universe. But we find in subsequent scripture verses here in chapter 1 that uh, God creates the sun, the moon, and the stars, as a matter of fact, Let's turn to verse 16. Verse 16, and this is going to be part of day four. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. Now, this is in the um, the Milky Way where the earth is. And then you'll notice it says, he made the stars also. Therefore, if we read 1-1 as God creating all of these stars, then we need to come back and try to explain why on day four does he say he also made the stars. Now, I suppose someone could say, well, maybe they were already made. And they're just now telling us that he made them. I I don't think that's what God the Holy Spirit is trying to tell us. And therefore, when we read in chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I think the emphasis here really is on the earth. And the heavens here is what we see. We see space. But God created the space around the earth, but it doesn't have the sun, doesn't have the moon. There are no other planets. It's just the earth. Verse 2 says, and I think a better translation here, but the earth was without form and void. It became that way. So something has happened. And we tried to fill in those spaces, those uh, answer some questions about this. So God creates space and the earth. Uh, Genesis 1.1, God creates what I described last week, a box. And in that box is space and the earth. Point four, the fall of Satan. Uh, the reason we now insert the fall of Satan is because somewhere along the line, uh, we have the angels singing, and we believe that, uh, or I believe, that the angels that were created are, includes all of the angels to include Satan, and the angels that would be loyal to him, which we now describe as demons. But when did 
Satan disobey God? When was he uh, guilty of pride? Well, that's why we turn to Ezekiel 28.11. And they have gone to Isaiah 14.12. But it's important for us to go to Ezekiel first. Ezekiel verse 11. And this is the Lord speaking to Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel. And he says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation, uh, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord of God. And what we have here as we read further in this chapter, Ezekiel 28, Ezekiel 28, and I was reading from verse 11, is we are going to hear the name King of Tyre. But the two, as very often happens in prophecy, the two, Satan and the King of Tyre, are really going to represent each other here. And we're going to see that as we proceed, starting in verse, uh, the second half of verse 12, that this cannot be a human being. Son of man, that's how uh, God addresses Ezekiel. Take up, take up a lamentation, a dirge, for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of, per- of perfection. Now, was this king of Tyre perfect? Absolutely not. And the seal here is the pattern, the model, the standard of perfection. This was what we would call uh, the Lord creates the uh the an exalted angelic creature and he was the highest of all those creatures so we could begin you satan were the seal the pattern of perfection full of wisdom hokma understanding we could say and perfect in beauty Well, there's no human being that uh, is perfect in their appearance. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Now, as I've told you, the angels were created prior to the earth. And therefore, uh, this is not the garden of Eden. This is not, um, this is the garden of God and it's described as Eden, and what we'll probably understand is that there's going to be another Eden described. And Satan was in the garden of God, and he failed. God is going to create another garden, call it Eden, and place the man and the woman in that garden, and they are going to be tested as well. And then we see that Every precious stone was your covering, was your garment, we might say. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, uh, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes. And we saw last time, these are the, the, uh, the fixes uh, the the mounts, we could say, the settings where these wonderful stones were set. So the workmanship of your of your settings and your mounts was prepared for you in the day that you were created. The word here for created is bara, and the only time, the only person who baras, who creates with this word, is God. God created Satan, this special individual. So uh, this is another hint that God creates 
this individual. He's not born. Uh, we are born. Uh, we don't fit into the category of being bara. Uh, but Satan does. Every angelic creature was made individually by God. And that's why Satan fits this verse, this pattern. Verse 14, you are anointed cherub who covers. So here we have, he's given a job. God gives the angels responsibilities, just like we are given responsibilities. So you were set apart, a cherub, and this is a very special, high-ranking uh, angel who covers, who overshadows is a word we could use here. And I established you. I placed you. I placed you. Uh, another word here would be um, I uh, established you. And that I think we'll, we can go with that word. Yeah, I, I established you. I prepared you. <clears throat> you, Satan, were on the holy mountain of God. Uh, we don't have a holy mountain of God on the earth now. This was a different form of the earth at, the, at that time. You walked, uh, Satan, back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. Angels are called uh, fiery flames. And this could very be, very well be Satan, who is a, a, a leader, he is involved with uh, angels, or this could be a description of the decoration in the Garden of God. And it's difficult for us to know which. You were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created. I think I got out of place there just a little bit. Um, so verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. Uh, you, Satan, were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. And uh, in Psalm 104, 4, we're told that uh, angels are uh, flaming fire. Uh, 15, you were perfect in your ways from the day that you were created. Bara, till iniquity until sin uh, was found in you, and this was pride. By the abundance of your trading, Satan, and the trading here is probably his interactor interaction with other angels. Uh, you, Satan, became filled with violence within, pride, bitterness, uh, even anger, and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you uh, as a uh, cast you out uh, as a profound as a profane thing. In other words, he was expelled out of the mountain of God, and I, God, destroyed you, Satan, uh, O covering cherub. So the destruction here is is that he took from Satan his responsibility. He took his exalted position. And he no longer has unrestricted access to God in the mountain, the mountain of God. And so this is really the destruction of who Satan was. And I, God, destroyed you, Satan, O covering, uh, we might say overshadowing cherub from the midst of the fiery stones. Again, verse, verse 14 says this could very easily be other angels or it very well might be the the uh <clears throat> decorations and the uh landscaping around there verse 17 you uh satan your heart was lifted up was was exalted was prideful because of your beauty your corruption your wisdom for the sake of your splendor uh, this was an extraordinary, beautiful creature. 
I cast you to the ground, to the earth. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. And I don't believe that this is a reference to human kings, but it's to angelic powers and principles. Uh, He was exalted above them, but when he was cast down, he lost his position. 18, you defiled your sanctuaries by the multitudes of your iniquities. This is is the... uh, This is the second or the third time we're told that he'd sinned, third time. By the iniquities of your uh, trading, your interaction with the angels, and what is he going to do? He is going to um, try to uh, convince other angels to join him. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you. This means that he was punished. There's punishment involved in this. And I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you, the uh, other angelic forces. And uh, what we see here is that he becomes nothing. He loses his power. Uh, He is the leader of these demons that have followed him, but otherwise he has no authority, no power. Verse 19, all who knew you among the people, and again, I think this is a reference. uh, If we're just looking at it from the standpoint of a human, this could be people, but I believe this is angels, uh, are astonished at you, at your fall. You have become a horror and shall be no more. Now, what is going to happen now? And we can quickly look at Isaiah 14, uh, I, <clears throat> excuse me, Isaiah 14, 12, how you are fallen from heaven. Isaiah 14, 12, how you, Satan, are fallen from heaven. O Lucifer, son of the morning. You'll notice that the morning here uh, is something that is used as a uh, description of beauty. The morning. Morning stars. Son of the morning. Uh, So these are names and titles that are descriptive of something that is, uh, we could say, is its splendor. How you are cut down to the ground. You are weakened, or you, uh, you who weaken the nations. And uh, the weakening of the nations means that uh, arrogance, pride, is destructive. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne, my throne above the stars of God. He will lead, he will, uh, lead all angels. We're not certain what angels were either equal to him or senior to him, very likely Michael, maybe Gabriel, and maybe there are others. But he wanted to be the chief angel, and we'll see that he also wanted to be like God. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the the mount of of the congregation. And that's the assembly of angels. And we saw the assemblies that God calls in Job 1.6 and uh, chapter 2. Um, I will also sit on the Mount of Congregation on the farthest side of the north. Uh, in, the, in the Bible, very often the north is an exalted uh, location. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Possibly here, again, a reference to uh, angels. I will be like the Most High, like God. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, Satan. You shall be brought down to Sheol, to the grave, um, to the lowest depths of the pit. And that's where he will uh, eventually uh, reside. And we could see that in Revelation 20. All right. Uh, So point four here. The fall of Satan. We don't know when this occurred, 
but it occupies, but it occurred, excuse me, but it occurred uh, after the original creation. It occurred after the original creation of the earth. Why? Because he was exalted on the earth, which is where the mountain of God was. So there was the creation of angels. There was the creation of the earth. And then Satan falls, the fall of Satan. Satan was given an exalted position, and he became overwhelmed with pride. Point five, angels chose loyalty for God or Satan. We can call them either holy angels or fallen angels. And we see this in Matthew twelve twenty four. We didn't turn to this uh, passage last week, but this is a passage that tells us that Satan has a legion of fallen angels, demons, that accompany him. And we see this in Matthew 12, Matthew 12, 24. Now then, the fairies, now when the Pharisees heard it, They said, this fellow does not cast out demons. These are fallen angels. We do not uh, cast out, uh, he does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub. And Beelzebub in uh, the New Testament is a reference to Satan, the ruler of demons. So, uh, again, We don't know the timing that uh, this choosing occurred. It probably was almost immediately after uh, the prideful fall of Satan. And at that point, uh, he will uh, gather around him angels that support him and they will be tried. Six, God sentences fallen angels to the lake of fire. And we read that last week in Matthew 25, 41. Uh, I'd rather not return to that, but that's the passage where we see the judgment of the sheep and the goats who are Gentiles, uh, sheep being believers, goats being unbelievers. And when God addresses the unbelieving goats, they're not really goats, they're just being described as goats. We are told that they are to go to the lake of fire, which had been prepared for Satan and his demons, his followers. We know in Matthew twenty-five forty-one, therefore, that this is the sentence that... Satan and the demons uh, received. However, we know that they are not in the lake of fire right now. And what that tells us, if this was a legal uh, procession uh, process, then more than likely there's an appeal. And God is allowing this appeal. So, Satan and his demons are not in the lake of fire. Uh, the angelic conflict commences at this point. Seven, God restores the earth, preparing for human habitation. And that's what we read in chapters 1 and 2 in Genesis. So God restores the earth, preparing for human habitation. The assumption is that humanity will be part of the angelic conflict. Now, we are not told anywhere, but we know that if there is an appeal, if there is appeal, an appeal, and uh, Satan is doing his best, his angelic best, to demonstrate that he does not, um, he should not go to the lake of fire, and then God creates mankind, uh, we are somehow to be involved and uh, we are going to be given choices just like Satan was given choices. So God restores the earth, preparing for human habitation. 
And the assumption is that human humanity will be part of the angelic conflict. We are participating in that. And we are surrounded by uh, invisible angels, some fallen, uh, some holy. Eight, God creates man and woman and places them in the garden. So God creates man and woman and he places them in the garden. Uh, we studied that last week, Genesis 1.27. Uh, we saw it in uh, 2.7 and 21.23. Um, the man is, crea- is created uh, probably maybe early in the afternoon, maybe late, at, um, late morning, and he's given a responsibility. Uh, the responsibility is to name the animals. Uh, through that process, he understands that uh, he is alone. God says it's not good for man to be alone, and therefore he is going to create a helpmeet for him, a companion. And the companion is going to be taken from the side of the man, and the woman is created. She is created after the man, and the man identifies her as woman, as having been taken from him. Satan tempts the woman in the garden, and the man and the woman sin. Genesis 3. Uh, I don't think I need to uh, read uh, Genesis 3. I think it's a passage that we've all read many, uh, read many times. But Satan uh, approaches the woman. Uh, it was the responsibility of Adam to tell uh, the woman uh, to uh, not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But uh, she was tempted by Satan and she made a decision. Uh, the decision was to determine herself whether uh, this was something that should be um, avoided, and she she disobeys the rules. She demonstrates that she knows them, uh, and then Adam, what does Adam do? He joins her in that sin. The environment of the garden represented, I, I actually went beyond that, the environment of, of the garden represented the relationship that the two humans had with God. We call it perfection. It was perfect. And then Satan tempts the woman. Ten, God expels man and woman from perfect environment of the garden. And we see that in Genesis 3.24. Genesis 3.24, God expelled man and woman from perfect environment of the garden. So this perfect environment and perfect relationship with God is severed. It's an excellent word. It's severed. And we'll see in point 11 that man and woman begin life in a sin-corrupted world. And that's what we read in Romans 8, 20 through 21. And there are many people who find this difficult to believe, but the Apostle Paul re, uh, writes in Romans 8, beginning in verse 20, For creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him, the Father, who subjected it in hope, because creation itself also will be delivered, will be uh, freed from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So uh, the, the world, everything is contaminated by sin. And then point 12, Satan assumes dominion of the world from man. Mankind was given dominion of the world. And... Uh, after he sins, he loses that dominion. And we can say that Satan replaces man as having dominion over the world. And uh, the Lord Jesus Christ 
in John 12:31 calls Satan the ruler of this world and in 2 Corinthians 4:4 4, 4, we're told he is the god of this world Satan is the god of this world Satan assumes dominion over the world from man so that's the time timeline now this took a little longer but this is this is so important to us and we must remember that uh, we live in a fallen world as fallen human beings we live in a fallen world and we are opposed by satan and his demons and thankfully we have god the holy spirit who is the restrainer on the actions of satan and these demons and we have many promises that um, we should follow in order to live a godly life, a life that truly is a happy life, uh, a cheerful life. Uh, it may not always be uh, without pain, adversity, but we know that our lives are in God's hands. And therefore, we may still be happy. We may still uh, have a, a cheerful outlook because God's plan is before us. Now, my plan was to return to Job 38. And let me just read the verses that we really will study next week. Beginning in verse 8, uh, let me finish, let me begin again in verse 4. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you know, if you have an understanding of that, who uh, determined its measurements? Would that be you, Job? Uh, surely, or tell me, if you know, uh, or... Who stretched the line upon it? Who measured it? We use measurements for construction, for building. Uh, verse 6. On what were its, found, its foundations, its pedestals uh, fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the, which at that time we could say, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or, Job, who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and, issue, and issued from the womb? So this is now being compared to uh, the birth, the birth of the earth, we could say. Verse 9, when I made the clouds its garment, uh, it so the bursting forth up there is the sea, and so when I made the clouds, its garment, the seas, gar the garments. So the clouds are the gum, uh, garments for the sea. And thick darkness, its swaddling band, swaddling bands of the sea. Verse 10, when I, God, fixed my limit for it, for the sea, and set bars and doors it's like speaking about a, uh, a jail or maybe a city at night barring the, uh, the gates. Verse 11, when I, God, said, this far, the sea, you may come, but no farther. And here your proud waves must stop. So we see <clears throat> here now. God describing his creation of the sea, the ocean. We could even probably toss in the rivers. Let's read verse 12 and following. Have you, Job, commanded the morning since your days began? Uh, Job, were you the one who commanded uh, how the morning and the evening are going to uh Function, have you, Job, commanded the morning since your days and caused the dawn to know its place, that it, the dawn, might take hold of the ends of the earth? 
like a, uh, a blanket and shake it, and the wicked uh, be shaken out of it. In other words, uh, the wicked here are who work at night, uh, and they're shaken out of the earth. Verse 14, the earth, it takes on form like clay under a seal. We would probably better understand this as hot wax and the seal on a, uh, a ring. But it's described as clay because that's what we would see in the earth. And stands out like a garment. Uh, verse 15, from the wicked, those who operate at night, their light is withheld. And their light, those who operate at night, their light is darkness. So their darkness is withheld. It's removed so that they can be seen. And the upraised arm is broken. Their power, the wicked's power, is broken. All right. Well, that's as, that's as far as we're going to go tonight. Uh, we'll come back. I'd like to explain some more, a uh, little bit of an explanation in uh, beginning in uh, verse 8 and going farther uh, at least to verse 21. But this is absolutely a wonderful description of God's creation. Uh, you know, sometimes we wish we were at a particular location when something is made, when something is built, when something is created. Um, and we look at the results and we, we simply uh, try to determine uh, how this, uh, how it originated. Well, this is God. He was there. He was not only there, but he's the one that is doing the creation. And now he's asking Job, are you going to challenge me? Well, do you know how the, uh, the pedestals of the earth were set? No, no, Job doesn't know. And he continues this way. And so for us, our application is, is that, yes, uh, God is speaking to Job, but in reality, he's also speaking to us. God speaks to us. Do we know who he is? Do we really know who he is? And do we really respect him for what he's done and what he's doing for us and what he will do for us? Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the remarkable passages of Scripture that we have here in the book of Job. As you speak to Job, we should be learning. We should be standing right there beside Job. We should be walking our way through this, uh, these verses as you describe your creation and what you have, uh, what you have done. Because on, uh, from day to day, we forget or we ignore. Uh, Father, you are the creator and everything that happens in this universe they're in your hands. We are in your hands. And you have a plan for us. And we should uh, be thankful for that and be joyful in it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.